following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Uh, last week, I get up about 4.30, uh, quarter to 5. On a Sunday morning, I usually go to the gym. And last week, uh, I was on my way to the gym, and I realized uh, as I looked on 331, I've never seen so many lights and sirens before. Uh, there were ambulances and cop cars, and I was curious what was going on. It turns out uh, a motorcyclist, uh, for some reason, was out at uh, 4.30, uh, quarter to five, and uh, he was coming, either coming or going. I'm not really sure what happened, uh, but what happened is he lost control of his motorcycle, and um, he had a couple mailboxes, and they pronounced him dead on the scene. Went to somebody's front yard, dead on the scene. Started thinking to myself this week, I wonder what he was thinking. I wonder if uh, one question that he thought was who is God? It's a question we all ask, who is God? I wonder if he thought it before or after. I would rather ask the question, who is God, before a tragic accident like that than ask the question, who is God, after a tragic accident like that. I think about parents. I thought about parents this week who are having trouble with their teenagers and their little kids and even uh, their fully grown kids, and they ask the question, who is God? I think about uh, workers, uh, I think about people who are in the workplace, men, women who are doing their job, job diligently, and I think uh, about them, and, and maybe they think, who is God? If we get to the book of John, we realize that John tells us exactly the answer to that question, and I'm glad all of us asked that question, and I'm glad all of us in this room, at least, are asking that question before a tragic accident happens, and so I look at it, and I look at the book of John, and I realize that John tells us that Jesus is God. John tells us uh, 98 times that we should believe that Jesus is God. That's his whole message to us. He says, I want you as a person, as an individual, as well as a church, to believe that Jesus is God. In John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, so that all may believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God. It's a free offering to everybody. And John uses that word believe so many times that it's almost like we get tired of hearing it if we were to read that passage of Scripture and we would read that book over and over again and we see that there is importance in his book about believing that Jesus Christ wasn't just a man, but that he is God. Knowing Jesus is God will change every single thing in our lives, and we are commanded in Scripture to tell people that Jesus is God, and not just tell them out of obligation, but tell them because we do believe it. So, if you would, look at John chapter 1, and let's read this together. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let's do something fun this morning. I want you to read this with me. You got it on the screen, so we can read out the same translation, I guess. So, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
we look at the first three verses, we see, number one, what we need to know this morning is that Jesus was in the beginning. You need to write that down, that Jesus was in the beginning. He is the creator. He is the author of the universe. He is the one who gives peace. When John uses the word word, it means logos. And we see that the word Logos is used as an argument or as a reason for John's audience, both Jews and Gentiles, to accept or believe in the fact that Jesus really is God. The Jews in the New Testament understood that there was a God, but they needed evidence, concrete evidence to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They needed evidence to believe that God would remove himself from being this big being and he would empty himself and come and live among us. The Gentiles, on the other hand, or we would call them non-Jews, were more interested in supernatural things like superstitions or curses. And John's logos shows both parties that Jesus is a universal ruling force who was in the beginning. God had a desire to speak, if you will, to every human being by becoming flesh. So he comes to us in the form of a virgin and he is conceived and he is birthed and all of a sudden we see that he had become flesh. His death and resurrection created a bridge between the creator that was very distant and his creation, that being man, through belief. That's John's whole thing. He says, I want you to believe that this is true. I'm going to give you an account, all of these chapters, on why you need to believe that Jesus is God. This Logos is God's word coming to us who was in the beginning. He was with God and he was God. It's not a, a different God. It is the God. How many of you know what signature stamps are? Anybody you know what a signature stamp is? Signature stamp is essentially an electronic signature. I learned about these this past week. It's kind of fascinating. If I were to sign my signature, what happens was a computer can scan that and it can read that signature and it can duplicate that so I can sign electronic documents. It's not a copy of my signature. It is my signature. It reproduces my signature. Same thing with Jesus being God. He's not a copy of God, okay? He is God, So we see that John tells us that you should believe Jesus is God because he is God. Logos is Jesus as God in the beginning asking us to believe, church, that he is in control so our lives can have peace. That's the whole reason that John looks at this is I want you to believe that Jesus is God so that you will have peace. How many of us here today don't have peace? We're in a state of unrest or we're nervous And John tells us that I want you to believe that Jesus was God in the beginning so that you will have peace. When we understand that Jesus is God in the beginning, it gives God control over our lives. When God has control over our lives, we have more peace. And when God has control over our lives, we can be still and know that he is God. In 1988, they did something completely fascinating. You can go on YouTube and you can search this. There was a blind skier who wanted to ski in the Olympic Games. Can you imagine that? Slalom skier skiing in the Olympic Games. It just sounds completely dangerous. It would never pass now. We have too many safety regulations and guidelines. They have a blind skier and says, I would like to ski in the Olympic Games. How do we do this? Well, what happened was they had to take the blind person and pair him with a person who could see. 
And what would happen is they would go down the same hill at the same time, and the, seer, the skier that could see would yell at the person who couldn't see when to turn right or left. So they would go down the hill and they would say, right turn, which that's my left, and this would be your right, so right turn, and they would turn right, and then they'd say left turn, and they would turn left, they would say hard right, and they would turn hard right, they would say hard left, and so all of a sudden, when they got to the bottom of the hill, they would get there safely if the skier who couldn't see was completely dependent upon the skier, who, skier this gets extremely tricky, to, who could see. If they didn't listen to the skier who could see, it would be complete chaos. So it is with our lives with God who has peace because he is the creator of the universe. He says, you have to be completely dependent upon me in every single situation and know that I was around in the beginning. And when you are completely dependent upon me, I will give you peace. But you have to turn right when I tell you to turn right. You have to turn left when I tell you to turn left. And many of us know that we get in sticky situations when we do what we think is best instead of doing what God thinks is best. And God tells us what is best in his word. Amen? He says, I want you to have complete dependence upon me. So he is a God in the beginning, the God of peace. Jesus is the God of the beginning, the God who gives peace. But secondly, we see that Jesus is also the God that gives life, or we would say purpose. See, he's not just the God in the beginning that we should believe in to have peace. He is the God in the beginning that we should believe in so that we can have purpose. Jesus is the God in the beginning giving all physical as well as spiritual life. If you were to back up and go to Genesis 3, you would see that in the very beginning of creation, God tells Adam, the first man, that I'm going to give you life. It wasn't a big kind of light bulb in the sky. He just said, Adam, you are going to live. And Adam had no doubts in his mind who created him. He looked up and he says, here it is. I understand that I'm a created being. I've, become from, I've come from somebody. All of a sudden he gets a helpmate. She comes from him. They both come from God. They don't question it until they get to the tree. There's a tree planted in the garden and all of a sudden they look at the tree and the serpent was more crafty than the rest. And they said, if you eat this fruit, which is God's only rule to them in the garden, besides tending it, he says, if you eat from this tree, you'll become like God. You will know good from evil. Bethany and I were talking about this the other day and it was interesting. Uh, Bethany brought up the fact that the serpent was after the fall um, commanded to slither on the ground. And I never thought about this, so we came to the conclusion of how did he walk up to Adam and Eve? Was he like standing straight up? Did he bounce like Tigger? We don't know. But it was kind of interesting. I never had thought about that. I said, oh, so snakes maybe at one time used to be able to walk. Now they can't because they were commanded to slither. That's completely irrelevant to the message this morning, but I also thought it was interesting. So what happens is, is Adam and Eve, this is what we talk about in our house, Adam and Eve are commanded, do not partake from this tree. Well, Adam and Eve looked at each other and they said, well, that's God's rule and let's just wind up in complete chaos at the bottom of the hill. Let's do the opposite of what he says. So they take from the tree and all of a sudden their spiritual life as well as their physical life is completely cut off. God says, because you sinned, you deserve to die. Because you sinned, you deserve death. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because you sinned, you deserve death. But not only physical death, you deserve spiritual death. 
So you will be separated from me. He casts out Adam and Eve from the garden. He puts cherubim in front of the garden. He says, you can no longer come into this presence with me. You can no longer walk with me like you once used to. You can no longer talk to me like you once used to. And so what happens is they're completely separated from God, physically and spiritually. They chose this. I know that children choose to disobey their parents all the time. And I know that it ends up in complete chaos. Bethany was telling me the story the other day. They were in Meyer, and she was shopping for some food. And all of a sudden, she looks down, and Corrine was standing right next to her. And then all of a sudden, she looks back up, and she looks at some of the, some of the stuff that she was looking at to get groceries. She looks back down, and Corrine is? She's gone. Where did this child go? So she starts, you know, kind of freaking out. Where's my child? Has anybody seen my child? And people are looking at her like, are you not a responsible parent? She's like, I am a responsible parent. I just need to know where my kid went. She says, where did my child go? Well, sure enough, she was in the other aisle, but she couldn't see her. Corrine chose to do the opposite, to stay by her mother in safety and protection and leave that safety and protection and go do her own thing, which is exactly what we do all the time. When we go and we say that our way is better than God's way, we leave safety and protection and we go our own way and we think that we're going to be okay. And all of a sudden we're like, oh, why, why are we living in chaos? And we know why we're living in chaos is because we left the safety of our father. We were separated physically and we were separated spiritually. But Jesus as God gives purpose to life for spiritually dead souls who are lost in sin. Amen. Look at this is Ephesians chapter uh, 2 verse 10. Go ahead and put that up there. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this. And so Jesus again says to them, those people who are listening to him, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. They went their own way. I am the door. If anybody enters by me, he'll be saved and go in and out and find pasture. That's what Psalm 23 tells us. He leads me into green pasture. The thief, though, when we choose to leave God and we choose to go do our own thing, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I came so that they may have life and have it abundantly if they would stay under my control and guidance because not only do I give peace, but I give purpose. That's God's word. There's a cake mix company I read about uh, last week, and uh, they decided to make cakes, but they forgot on the side of the box to write one ingredient down. So what happened was they send out all these cakes. This is hilarious. They send all these cakes, and all these reviews start popping up, and they're like, don't buy these cakes. They're horrible. They don't work. They don't rise. Some of them just taste completely awful. And they're like, what is going on with our company? How in the world is, is our, our cakes not selling? We know that they're good. And what they forgot to put on the box was, you need an egg. That's it. You just need one egg and the cake turns out fine. What happens to us is we understand that we get no life without Jesus. We try to do our own thing. We try to go our own way. We try to live our own life. We try to leave the comfort and security. We try to listen to ourselves, but no Jesus, no peace. And so we look at this and we realize that until we add Jesus Christ, we don't get life. Until we add Jesus Christ, we don't get eternal life. Until we add Jesus Christ, we don't get spiritual life. 
because we have removed ourselves from the comfort of the Father and we've decided to go our own way. We've decided to do our own thing and we've decided to listen to our own voice and then we get in a life of complete dysfunction and we don't understand why there's no peace and we don't understand why there's no purpose and God says, I know why there's no peace and no purpose because you haven't understood that I was the God in the beginning and I am the God who gives purpose. Jesus is God so that we may have life and have it abundantly. Look at John 10, 10. He says, so that you may have life and have it abundantly. You missed Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, correct? Did we miss that? You got it. You're good. So what does that mean? What does that mean, John 10, 10? A life of purpose is lived in dependence upon the creator. What am I dependent upon and when should I be dependent? Well, the first thing that the Bible tells us is that we should be dependent in times of suffering. Look at uh, Romans chapter five. I wanna read this to you. Romans chapter five says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, since we have chosen to go to our father and chose to live into his comfort, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've acknowledged that he was from the beginning and we've acknowledged that he is the person who gives us purpose. Through him, we have obtained access into this grace from which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, passage continues. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. How many of us honestly rejoice in our sufferings? We just don't. We choose not to because it's called suffering and it's no fun. We rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What are you suffering with right now, church? What are you going through right now? Where is your sin struggle? And let me ask you a question. Are you believing in Jesus Christ who, are the, who is the author of peace to get you through that situation or maybe Invite him to come live in that situation so that you can see the purpose of which you are going through so that you will know that this is a time of suffering that will produce a character within you that cannot be compromised. Do you know that? Have you depended upon him? Proverbs chapter three. When we go through suffering, we must be dependent upon the one who gives us purpose. But he says another thing. He says in Psalm 29, we must be dependent upon times in conflict. He says, may the Lord give strength to his people and may the Lord bless his people with peace. Well, how do we get peace? We believe in the author who created peace. We're no longer the people we used to be when we believe that Jesus is God. Church, let me tell you that one more time. We are no longer the people who we used to believe, who, who we used to be when we believe that Jesus is God. A lot of you are going through hardships, you're going through suffering, you're going through um, times of conflict, there's problems in your life, there's turmoil in your life, maybe somebody is sick, maybe somebody just died, maybe you have uh, an illness, maybe your kids are acting up, maybe your relationship with your spouse is on the rocks. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I do know that God calls us to be dependent upon him because he gives us purpose for all these things. When I go through these things, I understand that there is purpose and reasoning behind them because it is further cementing my relationship with Christ who gives me purpose and also gives me peace. Maybe you have ailments or, or, or something uh, about you that just makes you a, a certain way, but God has given you that one thing so that you will be strong in the Lord. 
The Bible tells us that in our weakness, we are the most strong that we ever could be because we're completely depending upon Jesus Christ who gives us purpose. I had Larry Moyer in my uh, living room last week. And in case you didn't know, Larry Moyer has a speech impediment. And I said, Larry, has that ever interfered with you communicating the gospel? And he says, you know what, Jordan? No, it hasn't had any harm in me communicating the gospel. As a matter of fact, it's only elevated it because the world loves winning losers. The world loves winning losers. The world loves a success story of somebody who's overcame an ailment. We're no longer the people that we used to be when we believe that Jesus is God. Not only does God give us peace, not only does God give us purpose because Jesus is God, he also gives us the last thing. He gives us promise, which is that which is light. Jesus is God that gives us light. It illuminates our path as a church. It illuminates our path as an individual. I wish I could communicate this to you as clearly as it came to me this week. Darkness is that which is against God. But light is that which is for God. It's funny how often we as human beings choose to live in darkness as opposed to living in light. But we see that God's light will give instruction and presence. Look at Proverbs chapter six, verse 23. The commandment, okay? God's commandments is a lamp and a teaching. It's a light and the reproofs of discipline are the ways of life. The commandment is a lamp. God's word, what he wrote to me is a lamp. It lights up even the darkest places in my heart, mind, and soul. And it teaches what needs to happen in those dark places. And the reproofs of discipline, when we correct those things, are the ways in which we are called to live. And that, my friend, is a promise straight from scripture. It is for those who believe. It is the foundation for the rest of John's account. It is the foundation for which he builds the rest of the argument that Jesus is God. Corrine's got a little nightlight that sits by her bed. And it's funny because we're in summer season and so all of a sudden the, the light of the world is kind of going down as she calls it. It's kind, of, it's kind of fading and then all of a sudden it gets dark. So what she does is, like any other smart kid, is she jumps out of bed and she goes and turns on her light because she has a book in her hand and she's reading a book and the, the, the sun's going down and she can't see the book anymore. So she goes over and she turns on her light and she can see it. She can clearly see it. And then I open up the door and I say, what are you doing? I'm reading. I see that. It's time to go to bed. But it's funny, there's been a couple times I've walked in, she said, but dad, I can't see in the dark. I can't see in the dark. I can't read in the dark. I can't be who I'm called to be in the dark. You never have to be afraid of the dark if you know where the light is located. You never have to be afraid of conflict. You never have to be afraid of trials. You never have to be afraid of suffering. You never have to be afraid of people. You never have to be afraid of problems. You never have to be afraid of weakness if you know where the light is located. How come we go every other direction to seek out a light switch, then go to the direction in where the true light is located? Why do we do that? Why do I do that? I think about that all the time. To the Facebook news feed, the Twitter news feed, the, the, the Google engine. I go search there. I search everything that I possibly can. And God's 
word is a light into my path, which is a promise directly communicated with scripture. And he says, you can go to where the light is located. And that is a promise that you've had from the beginning. That is a promise that you've had from the author of peace. That is a promise that you've had from the author of purpose. How do we know this? Look at John chapter eight. He says this, he says, Jesus spoke to them. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's a promise. Church, that's a promise. I know that as a church, we will continue to succeed as long as we're focused on preaching and teaching God's word, taking Jesus Christ to the near and to the far. I know that you will be successful in your life, maybe not monetarily, but I know that you will be successful in your physical and spiritual life if you continue to do what God's word commands you to do. How do I know that? Because it's a promise from the light of life who was in the beginning. Because in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was the God in the beginning because he was with God and all things were made through him and without him, not anything was made and in him was life and the life was the light of men. It is a promise to lead you on the path in which you are supposed to go. Which way do I go, God? Go right. Which way do I go, God? Go left. Which way do I go, God? Hard right. Which way do I go, God? Hard left. What does that look like in everyday life? Should I leave this friendship? Yes, because they're killing you. Should I embrace this friendship? Yes, because they are helping you. Should I continue to to participate in this suffering? Yes, because it is producing character. Should I continue to go through this trial? Yes, because you are leaning on me and believing in in hope. Do I divorce my wife? No. Do I divorce my husband? No. Because you're learning about me in the process of all things, all things. You are learning to be like Jesus Christ, who is a promise, who is the light of life. This is exactly what he tells us. Christ clearly illuminates the path on which those who believe in Jesus as God should live in order to bring glory to God for giving his created people new spiritual and eternal life. Who am I more concerned about? Am I more concerned about the praises of men that only last and, uh, for a small amount of time and are fleeting? Or am I concerned about the promises of God that last forever? Which one? Which one am I concerned about? Oftentimes, I'll be honest with you, church, I like the praise of men a little bit more than I like the praise of God. Because the praise of men is right in front of my face, but the praise of God, it rings true in heaven's doors. And it's not that we are called to just do things because we want to do things. It's called that we're doing things so that we can be obedient children. Kareen, you need to stay by your mom right here. You need to not leave. Why, Dad? Because if you leave this security, follow me, if you leave this security, you will become lost. So exactly what God tells us. He says, I am a light that helps flee from the attacks of darkness. Look at Romans chapter 13, verse 12. It says, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. Let's cast off the works of darkness and let's put on the armor of light. Church, where are you living in darkness? Cast off that darkness. Bring some light on it. Refuse to live in the shadows. I love the quote I read this week. I sleep with the nightlight on, not because I'm afraid of the dark, but because the dark is afraid of me. I like that. And you better believe that I sleep with the nightlight on. Because the darkness is petrified 
of the man who reads his Bible. The darkness is petrified of the woman who studies her word. The darkness is petrified of the person who chooses to obedient to be obedient when sin comes knocking at their door. The darkness is petrified when things creep into our life and we push them away. Jesus' light illuminates our heart, it illuminates our soul, and it illuminates our mind, and we must listen to that voice like a skier going down the hill. Look at Psalm chapter 19. It says that the law of the Lord is perfect, that it re- revives our souls. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes the wise simple. The precepts of the Lord, the commands of the Lord are right. They rejoice in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It enlightens our eyes. It opens up things that we never seen before. I was driving home from church just, uh, just a little bit ago, um, and uh, I felt like I was living in the matrix, I was studying my word and I was looking at Colossians and I was, I was seeing some things I never saw before and I just started watching the world like fade away and I started seeing things before. That's what God's word does to us. The fear of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. The rules of the Lord are true. We can test those. The righteous altogether, more to be desired than they are of gold, even more than fine gold, sweeter than the honey and drippings of the honeycomb. That's, that's God's word. That's what it tells us. A promise is perfect when it comes true and God's promises always come true. And God's promises are always perfect. Jesus is a light that ultimately helps us take all these things that we know, that Jesus is the God in the beginning. He's the author of peace. Jesus is the God that goes from our heads, our head knowledge of him into our hearts, which is purpose. That's when we confess and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's our purpose. And then ultimately, once those two things happen, it illuminates our path to do what we are supposed to do. And here's what we're supposed to do as human beings. You ready for this? Ephesians chapter five, verse eight and nine, or excuse me, Matthew chapter five, verse 14, tells us exactly what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to use that light to help witness to the lost. Church, I don't know if you knew this or not. Why do I suffer? Why do I have conflict? Why do I have problems? Why do I have situations and circumstances that I can't control? Because you are the light of the world. Did you know that Jesus thinks that about you? Did you know that Jesus thinks that about Community Gospel Church? That you are the light of the world. You're a city on a hill. You cannot be hidden. When you understand that Jesus was in the beginning, he's the author of peace. When you understand that Jesus is the one that gives us purpose, it can't be hidden. You can't conceal it. Nor do people light a lamp and put it underneath a basket. But on a stand, it gives light to the whole house. With Karina, it gives light to her whole room. As she can see. It gives light to our whole church. It allows us to see. So we should let that light shine before others so that they may see our good works and give glory to the Father who's in heaven because he helps us overcome conflict. He helps us overcome suffering. He helps us overcome hardship. Ephesians chapter five, verse eight and nine says, for by grace you are saved through faith. It says, there's nothing that you can do. It's not of your works, lest any man should boast. And he says in Ephesians 5, 8, at one time you were in darkness, but now you are in the light, which is the Lord. Do you know that? Do you, do you, do you know that? It's my prayer for you all week long. 
that you would know how God looks at you in all of your trials and all of your tribulations and all of your problems and all of your situations and circumstances. And he says, you're the light of the world. And I love you. Very simple. It doesn't matter if there is a hardship that happens. I mean, what if, can I just be honest with you for a second? What if you're driving home today? I don't do this to scare you at all. And some ginormous truck on 331 hits your car. And that's a life-changing experience. If we know that Jesus is God before the truck hits our car, and we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that he is Lord, we will be saved. And we get there, and all of a sudden God looks at us, and he says, whoa, how'd you get here? He says, you're never gonna believe this, but I got hit by a gas truck after church. He says, I know. And he's gonna ask you, who is Jesus? And you would say, Jesus is God. He's the Messiah, he's the King of Kings. He's the one I believed in. That blood on the cross paid for the sins that I did against you. And he would say, come on in. If you get hit by the gas truck, I don't know why it has to be a gas truck, but if you get hit by a gas truck and you don't know that Jesus is God, it's too late. It's too late. You get up there and you say, Jesus said, God says, who's Jesus? You say, I, I don't know. It's too late. I can't let you in here because you have no peace. You have no purpose. You have no direction. That's what he tells us. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know the trials. I don't know the tribulations. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I do know that Jesus being God gives you peace, gives you purpose, and gives you the promise that he will be with you always until the end of the age. And I would pray that you would dwell in these things. I would pray that you would dwell in them. I would pray this morning that you would ask for God's peace to come and illuminate your heart. I would pray that you would ask Jesus Christ to become your purpose, that you would confess and believe that he is Lord. And I pray that you would accept the promises that he gives to you. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab. 